Welcome back to our podcast within a podcast, pottering around the plan that involves going down to the lake, sticking your head in, yelling at the mer people to give back, back what they've nicked, and hoping they chuck it out of Mangum Reeds. We are three muggles who might notice an aqualung zooming across the countryside. My name is Sarah. I am joined, as always, by my co-hosts, BJ and Spencer. How are you all doing? I would very much notice it, because it would probably be mine pilfered out of my garage. <laughs> Do you call and them also, aqualungs, or is that a British thing? That's, that's, very, that's, that's very, a British. British. Okay. That's very British. It seemed British, they, but I have no firsthand knowledge of this. But there's a brand. I'm pretty sure they don't like acronyms at all for anything ever, and so they just make funny words up instead. Is that why they have so much trouble with spew? Probably. <laughs> Come on, even in this country with that age group, spew would earn some chuckles. <laughs> Um, so we are we are doing a podcast here. Oh yeah. We uh, are on chapter what twenty six twenty seven. Uh, twenty six. The Chap- second task. Chapter twenty six of the fourth book of Harry Potter, and it is in fact the second task. Uh, it's another long one, guys. But we do have some segments that we do here. We have a rapid fire recap. Um, BJ's Wizard Wheezes, Newbie's Notes with Spencer. We award house points, and then there are questions, queries. Uh, qualms and quibbles, many of which are scuba-related, as I understand it. <laughs> Just a few. Gotta warn people about the bins actually being a thing. Um, so, yeah, are we, uh, hmm, are we ready? Uh, well, are, are to we dive ready? In. Are we ready to dive in, guys? Sarah, we're practically just, you know, observers when it comes to most of this podcast anyway, but particularly this episode, dear lord, have you got a challenge in this 30-page monstrosity. Do you have an idea? Do you have a bet? Or just two minutes or hell? Yeah, it's a, it, I, I think that this time around, it is going to be two minutes or get eaten by the giant squid. Like, this is... <laughs> 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 um, I, I think I can get it under two minutes, and that's all I can even hazard a guess at. So um, we're going we're gonna to attempt for a solid one point here. One thing that may help is that there are long investigation sections that start off the first half of this chapter, and I, yes. I feel those can be yachted pretty well. There, there are we, there will be some one sentence summaries of a lot of research that happens. <laughs> I mean, there there was a three days of ellipses that that just happened. I mean, J.K. Rowling basically did that in, in her. Harry Potter's life summary. It's like, eh, d- d- dot, I dot, actually dot, had to go. Happen. I had to go back and try to figure out, like, did three days actually happen here? Because all of a sudden we're just like going to the task, and I'm still not convinced that three days actually happened. I reread it. I really thought that he just fell asleep for three days. It's like, <laughs> I, I've been that tired, man. I'm with you. Oh wait, other things occurred. Gotcha. Okay. <sighs> okay. Um. Well. So all right. So two minutes, if we can. All right, we believe in you. The timer's ready, whenever you are. Hermione is predictably incensed that Harry lied about solving the egg. Harry and Ron are more interested in parsing the weirdness between Moody and Snape. After sending a letter to Sirius, they try to figure out some way of Harry surviving at the bottom of the lake. They've got uh, nothing with two days left. Sirius asks for the date of, hog- of the next Hogsmeade visit. Hagrid's teaching again, and he's found unicorn foals, which are even better than the grown one from Gr- Grubbly Plank. Checking in on Harry, Hagrid's convinced he's going to win. Harry is in full-on panic mode. If only he had foreseen how useful it would be to be an animal 
Animagus. Fred and George come round looking for Ron and Hermione. McGonagall wants them. Harry eventually creeps back down to the library to keep searching. He's awoken the next morning by none other than Dobby. He's got to be at the task in 10 minutes. Dobby knows he's got to go save his wheezy. They've stuck Ron at the bottom of the lake. He's also got a solution for Harry, gillyweed, which will let him breathe underwater. Harry's skeptical, but doesn't have much of a choice. He sprints down to the lake and the task starts. Harry shoves the rubbery stuff into his mouth, wades into the lake and waits for something to happen. He then grows gills and flippers. He's zooming through the murky, murky water and having trouble navigating the weedy growth. He fights off Grindylows, thanks Lupin, and Moaning Myrtle stops by to have a chat and point him in the right direction. As he swims closer, he hears the people's song in their village at the bottom of the lake. Harry finds Hermione, Ron, Cho Chang, and a small blonde girl. The people won't help, but they don't stop him. He finds a sharp, sharp rock and cuts Ron loose, but he's worried that none of the other champions are there and goes back for Hermione. That's when the people start freaking out. He can only take his own hostage. Cedric shows up with a bubble head to get Cho, saying Fleur and Crumb are coming. Harry waits to see a half-shark Crumb retrieve Hermione, but Fleur is nowhere to be seen. Finally, he frightens the people away with magic, grabs Ron and the girl, and tries to get both of them to the surface. His gillyweed time is rapidly fading, and he just makes it to the surface with his two hostages. Ron's furious he wasted his time bringing the girl, but Fleur is in tears gratitude for getting her, her sister on shore. Dumbledore confabs with the chief person, and then with the judges. When they award points, even though Harry came up past time, he comes in first in this task for his determination, meaning he's tied overall for first with Cedric, and then it's over until June. Good God, you made it. That's impressive. Have you done radio before? Because you were hitting a hell of a diction. <laughs> <laughs> if I pronounce my T's well, this will go faster. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what, just under 157. Well done. Uh, thanks. Um, but I, there were, in fact, a, other things that happened in this chapter that we might have wanted some, to some, at some point. Some things that didn't quite make it. Uh, this, this is what we have our other fine. segments for. Yeah, I am uh, relying on you all to help me out with this. Help me out with this one. Oh, boy. Uh, BJ, what, so, there is a wheezy in this chapter. What are you wheezing about? There, there are many things to wheeze about. Um, Spencer, I want you to pronounce this just because give me, give me a um, page. I am amused at, about your pronunciations and things. And Sarah, you did say it, and I'm confused about the pronunciation. It's the, the water demon. Oh, uh, do you have offhand what page that is on so I can read it again? Um, it's on a number of pages. I think that it's towards the end. Um, anyway, but as you find it, I have other things to wheeze about uh, because... I always have other things to wheeze about. I, J.K. Rowling just basically did a a Sarah special summary for Harry <laughs> Potter's life for, for quite a while. And so here we have it. There was a week to go before February the 24th. There was still time. Ellipses. There were five days to go. <laughs> we just lost two days. He was bound to find something soon. Ellipses, three days to go. We just lost four days. Three days to go, please let me find something. Ellipses, please. Uh, well, I'm going to read this sentence because the ellipses and parenthesis use is impressive. But we end with ellipses and then two days left to go. We just lost five days in the course of one sentence and four ellipses. I, I don't know about y'all, but I've had projects like that before. I got a week. <laughs> I got plenty of time the next day. <laughs> yes, but, but this isn't... Presumably, as an author, this isn't a project that, that you're uh, hurrying to finish at the very end and turning in just before the deadline, though maybe in this case it was because the movies might have been coming out at this point. So, Well, but to be fair, I suppose, 
even if you were to write out these five days that we have lost at this point, wouldn't it just be the same stuff we're getting in the last two days that we actually get? They don't seem right, to be doing anything a... other than... But this is a stylistic choice to basically have nothing happened, it happen for an entire sentence where we're just like, time is passing, time is passing. Uh, yeah, which I think is Harry Potter's experience of this time, which we are now living <laughs> with <Fair> him. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I would pronounce your word, by the way, uh, BJ, of you know, the small horned water demon as a Grindylow. Uh, so, uh, like, it was an interesting thing because in my head, it, I also pronounce, like, I have it as Grindy Low, but is there a reason that it is not Grindy Low? Because of Grindy Low, BJ, that is literally the only reason. I had never considered that it could be pronounced like that, and I really... <laughs> You're welcome, Sarah. I don't Gr- know. Grind- grindy Low sounds like a term you'd use on Grinder. <laughs> but it also sounds a little bit more demon-like. Grindy Low just sounds a little bit cuter. Yes. Yes, it does. That's the way we're going with that. Now, gr- Grindy Low will never leave our heads. Grindy Low. Stop. Um, Anything else, anyway, BJ, so as you sounds... ruin our childhoods in new and inventive ways? There was a week to go before February the 24th. Open paren, there was still time. Close paren, ellipses. There were five days to go. Open paren, he was bound to find something soon. Close paren, ellipses. Three days to go. Open paren, Italics, please let me find something. More ellipses, please close paren ellipses. We, we are, there, as we have established before, there is limited amounts of punctuation and goddamn, she is trying to use up the ellipses for everybody else this year, <laughs> let alone in one paragraph. I just, yes. I, was <laughs> going, I feel like... I would have to check this because I feel like there are an equal number of parentheses uh, in this body of work. But if the timing worked out better, J.K. Rowling might be the reason that E.E. Cummings exists. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Never really realized the slash pairing between the two of them, but I'm with it. (laughs) Um, I realize that there are 18 different things wrong with this theory, but I don't care. Um, speaking Murmish is kind of entertaining. Um, it does seem like a fairly lazy way to go about the language. I love Um, that word though. Murmish just (laughs) makes me smile every time I say that word. Yes. Um, it, it does remind me of Spaceballs. Um, Mm. and she doesn't look Jewish. Um, also Merchieftainess is, Marcus is an, an entertaining, uh, uh, name in general, Mm -hmm. but Merchieftainess is just, such a weird word because it's not just the chieftainess mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it is specific to their race <laughs> like you know it, it it's a a subdivision of chieftain that is very specific to to them being a separate race which is just a such a weird thing that that seems inherently necessary for jk rowling to put it mm-hmm. um I also think we have the summary of all of Harry Potter in this chapter, which I did not expect to have, okay. um, let alone by, by Ron. Is this... You weren't being thick after all. You were showing moral fiber. <laughs> I had not picked okay. up on that one, but that is true. We also have a an entire summary. Oh, and let me see if I can find it quickly enough to actually make this work. But we also have another summary of just a different aspect of the entire series 
here um, close to the beginning, which is really about Snape. I don't think <laughs> I'm going to find it soon enough, though. Oh, yeah. To actually no do this. I so it, it just, it was also a really funny thing, and I guess this might be a little bit more newbie's notes, where as, as the author, she has decided to rank the importance of people to Harry Potter... Yeah. As, as a, you clearly don't like Hermione enough, so she's not going to count. I'm, I'm gonna pair her with Crumb, and you clearly also, while you do have an infatuation with Cho Chang, eh, we're, we're, we're just not gonna, you know, have her be that important to you. And it was just like, it's such a weird grouping of three people that you could make cases for being important to him yes at any given time and they have all managed to be in the lake at this point <laughs> right and it's, it's just like well that's interesting it, it's a i guess since we don't know anything about any of the other characters then it kind of makes sense it is, it is sweet that ron has been chosen as the thing I'm, most important to harry I'm perfectly willing to believe that this is just lazy staff work at play. They they ne- they needed four people. They didn't do much legwork to really pick who those four were. These are the ones that were immediately on hand. It's like, sh- sure, yeah. Which one do we pick, Rod or Hermione? They're both going underwater. Who cares? <laughs> I did find, so we have um, Ron explaining Harry's arc in one sentence. <laughs> Hermione explains Snape's arc in one sentence. At least heretofore. Oh, Ron, said Hermione, shaking her head skeptically. We thought Snape was trying to kill Harry before, and it turned out he was saving Harry's life, remember? Repeat book after book <laughs> after book. Yeah, well, so I guess, I, like, I didn't know where to put that, but it was very funny that we have book summaries, basically, in this chapter. Yeah. As a, if you didn't, if you didn't remember, here are the summaries of the first couple of books... And, like, what you should be taking from them in chapter six of book four. Okay, sure. Better late than never, I guess. I know, I think that they're just sprinkled periodically. Are you wheezing about anything else, BJ? Uh, um, I have many more things to wheeze about, but I think movies notes is the next thing that we need to do, though. Okay. Well, I'm right there with Harry about the utter pointlessness of pondering why Dumbledore does anything. Because... (laughs) It will either fall into a couple of categories. Either he's just having fun or not paying attention, or he's being varus at the middle of a web and you'll never deduce what it is. Dump, things happen around Dumbledore, go with the flow. I, it's either pointless or it's too profound. Uh, it's interesting to see they have a bit of a growing up moment discussing Snape, though, of where them trying to come to terms with the very conflicting information they have about Snape and his actions was kind of a fun moment of kids realizing that people can be more than one thing at the same time. Is that like realizing that, well, Snape's an asshole, and he's always picking on us, but he literally did save our lives we've been wrong about him previously. So how do we reconcile those competing concepts? I think that they're starting to learn there's a difference between not liking me and being evil. Right. And, yes. And, and, the, and Harry's taking the longest to figure that out. He, he is, but he reaches a very interesting question at the end of where his point of pondering... Okay, Snape's on his second chance. What was it that Snape did to have his first chance, though? Mm-hmm. And that feels like one of the, oh, that's an art question that we're going to keep on coming back to. Yeah. But that's a, it's an important thing for Harry to ponder based on the information that he's received. Is that, okay, 
Dumbledore trusts Snape in spite of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is the of? Uh, okay. Few little comments from a scuba diving perspective. The fact that everyone is so focused on how do I breathe is important. It's a lake. You're under the water for an hour. But I'm going to remind everybody, and seemingly no one ever discusses this, it's February 24th in Scotland in a lake. Mm-hmm. It was chilly, Spencer. It's not just cold. It's you will die if you're not wearing protective gear. I, I well, Crumb was practicing. And... We saw him. Yeah. <laughs> no one else was, nor did they do anything. Here I mean, wanders sharks are fine. It's, you know, whatever. Even an incomplete transfiguration into a shark probably affords you some measure of protection. The gillyweed magically makes you warm as well. By sheer luck, the other two did nothing. It, it's one of those things where I learned how to scuba dive in a lake in late winter, an autumn winter kind of period in the mountains of Virginia. And I wore boots, I wore gloves, I wore a hood, I wore the thickest wetsuit I've ever worn. So it was like that little kid in Christmas story that could barely move his arms kind of thing. And I was still colder than I've ever been in my life. And if I hadn't worn that, I would have just died. There were people in the same lake that were training with dry suits of where it's just a bubble of air around your body and the water never touches you. Because that's what you deal with those kind of cold conditions. So the fact that they just never even address or consider that, oh, wait, it's winter in the highlands in a lake. Hypothermia is a thing, presumably, in this world. Again, good God, does Harry get lucky with the details. Uh, I think, again, Spencer, that's a good summary of Harry Potter. Yeah. He gets lucky with the details. <laughs> um, and I guess this is maybe more of a newbie's notes than, than a wheeze, but somewhere in between. Harry Potter doesn't have plot armor. He has plot narrative armor. Like, you know... Harry has the power of friendship. Dobby wanders in and is just like, oh... I know exactly what you need to solve this problem that you haven't been able to figure out. And since you need to do it in 10 minutes because you overslept, here it is. Put this in your face. Oh, yeah. Or Myrtle swooping in. Uh, hey, you're in the middle of a lake. You made no effort to previously explore. Unlike other people, they're actually competing here. You have no concept of where anything is and you'll just get lost and never find it. How about you go precisely that direction? <laughs> Again, it's it, it is a profound statement about Harry succeeds. He has he has abilities, he has skills, but he primarily succeeds through the earned friendship and loyalties of those that he's those he's cultivated along the way, and that's a good statement. That's a good message, though. Harry needs to do a lot more than give a sock a day to these people as he decides to do at the end of this chapter. <laughs> I will say though that what I think does come out of this chapter, which is directly addresses a question that we have had on this podcast before is kind of the actual parameters of what the lake is Mm -hmm. and how big it is, how deep it is. I mean, we don't obviously get numbers and stuff like that, but I think that like that Rowling actually does a really good job in her description of like Harry wandering around and not really knowing what's going on in this lake of giving a sense of... And there's a civilization at the bottom? Yeah. Like we've never encountered before? Whole civilization living at the bottom of this lake. This isn't like a, a university pond. This is a proper Mm-mm. lock that Hogwarts is next to. Yeah. Again, and so I, we, I do give her like a bunch of credit for actually doing that in this chapter. Oh, yeah. I, I like the idea that similar to the, similar to the uh, Forbidden Forest or whatever it's called, uh, mm-hmm. this, there, this is a large enough thing that there are 
entire communities just operating on their own throughout there. It's a fun completing of the universe kind of thing. It's big enough that I, I had kind of assumed that there was this, this lake was just big enough for the sea monster and almost like a, a whale sitting in a bathtub kind of thing. <laughs> in reality, it's big enough. We don't even see the Kraken at any point as he's wandering through this. It's just pieced out elsewhere. Yep. Nope. Only, uh, only the painting of the people fighting the <laughs> giant squid. I'm sure they've established some level of detente. Maybe, maybe Dumbledore mediates. It also makes more sense of the uh, ship just like appearing in yeah. the lock, mm-hmm. and and it, we we sort of were just like, well, what? It, like, <laughs> h- how is this fitting? Like, this is taking like the entire school. Like, okay, well, it makes sense. You could clearly fit the QE two in the pond, and mm-hmm. it would be fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did enjoy Hagrid really trying... Hagrid has a certain element of bruised pride that the substitute was doing a better job than he is, and so it's like he's actually read the teacher guides now. He's actually trying to give them a proper education about this. He's working It almost seems like veins. he always knew how to do this, and was just like, no, it, I want to be like the, uh, the weird professor doing weird things. Uh, you know, what? a little bit more... Uh, what was that movie with Robin Williams? Uh, Patch and Adams? Poetry. No, that was no. Dead Poets. Dead Poets Dead Society. Poets, Dead yeah. Poets Society, yep. Um, rather than the just like, it's like he clearly knew his stuff and could he have that sort this. of class. Yeah. Right. And and it's kind of clear that Dumbledore could teach that style of class, albeit with an impressively thick accent, but chooses not to. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, it, I think they even explicitly say here that Hagrid knows all there is to know about unicorns. Man's well-versed in this kind of knowledge. Personal hands-on experience. They're just boring to him. If there's not an element of constant poisoning, death, danger, or impalement, Hagrid gets, you know, a little bit flighty. Loses track of his attention span a little bit. Uh, Among the things I find probably the least believable in this chapter, and there's a few options there, but the fact that just an underwater breathing spell isn't like class 101 of things you learn is like the most basic spell in the universe, I find that a little hard to believe. You'd imagine that'd be like almost like the first spell that anybody invented because that's something that people would do or use or have use for. But apparently I mean, it's a pretty upper level But they don't have flying court. spells. Like there are loads of spells that would be like the but, first spells that people would do and they aren't a thing for... Traditions. <laughs> they had brooms. At least that one, they had an alternative. For this, it seems like those spells are pretty higher level up, and there's other ways you can get at them, but nothing so simple as, and so you breathe water now. I mean, but the air around your head is a very classic, like... Yeah. And I do I do think that, like, we, we do get some evidence that the process of, you know... It, the gillyweed is one thing, and like why that isn't more well known is extremely mm-hmm. unclear to me. But the process of actually like using a spell to change something about the human body for Different. any purpose incredibly dangerous. So like that that tracks why we're not talking about the gillyweed in the fr- why we did mandrakes in herbology <laughs> before we did gillyweed. Yeah, is uh, a different discussion. We... Because we knew that there were going to be herb, herbs like the mandrake that you need to heal students with rather than... And now we're in book four and you need to breathe underwater, so... Yes. Plot-driven <laughs> progression. It, um, it, it, and, 
TARDIS. Yeah. I, I think they do, a, Sarah, like you said, I think they do a good job of setting up that the physical transformation process is difficult and risky to the point that even a very skilled individual like Crumb mm-hmm. kind of messes it up. Yeah. Um, one thing I just really enjoyed was the fact that apparently off camera, Crookshanks is now bonded with the rest of our trio and is just now cuddling up on laps. But VG, I think it, one of the most summary moments of your view of Harry Potter's character is him just completely forgetting Crookshanks was there and just standing up and throwing the cat across the room, <laughs> being utterly indifferent as it hisses at him and he walks out of walks out of the place. Yeah. Uh, also, again, I don't think J.K. Rowling has cats because there is no way that that's the end of like he just walked out without getting his shit bit bit to all yeah. like that that is not a like even the the calmest cat like you will get something out of them from after doing that yeah, if you flop a cat on the ground unexpectedly there will be come up and say uh in terms of just people that make the chapter happen as you guys have already noted dobby for the goddamn win harry had nothing nothing he had no idea of how to solve this he either would have had to forfeit or die depending on his level of pride. And so the gillyweed, which, as Sarah, as you noted, this thing seems so damn useful that I'm guessing it's either exceptionally rare or some kind of isolated house health knowledge that's not more commonly known because it gives him gills, it gives him webbed fingers, it gives him flippers, it has added cold resistance just to complete that quartet. Mm-hmm. It's the perfect thing. So I have to imagine it's an incredibly rare product that Dobby just somehow was able to get and smuggle in. Otherwise, you'd think they'd almost have to build the task around specifically prohibiting this if it was more commonly available. Or it has a half-life of, like, two weeks, so... It's hard to grow. You have to get it straight from the source. Oh, I meant that Harry Potter was going to have flippers for two weeks, but yes, that too. Apparently, it also works for precisely an hour. So, again, it is the task embodied. Uh, But, yeah, as I said, this is a recurring theme of Harry often prevails due to the loyalty and friendship and dedication of those around him, which is that he clearly much, much truer to life for how these things would actually go. And I appreciate, again, that our hero isn't super-powered and always solving his own problems. Has he ever solved any of his own problems? If it involves a broom. That was given to him. Yes, but once he's on it, he's, <laughs> he's wielding agency. <laughs> and... You know, when it comes to impish things, Harry started to get a good mind to it, even though he doesn't compare to Fred and George. Um, and, he did yeah, actively I'll... teach himself how um, to conjure a Patronus. Like, yes, he needed he a did. little bit of help, but he did, yeah. in fact, from the future, teach himself how to and, conjure and a And apparently is really good at the banishment spell. Uh, we kind of get that referenced a little bit in this chapter, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, to He's... everybody's surprise, he was almost as good as Hermione at it. Mm-hmm. I mean... <laughs> I'm of the I'm of the view that Harry could actually be really good at a lot of things he sets his mind to. He's just <laughs> he almost a just terrible view- jock. Yeah, he, he he's just not motivated. Uh, Myrtle swooping in like a day of sick ghost and it was fun. Um, it it was I guess she's just bored as a bit of a thing for Harry because she just mm-hmm. swoops in again to just save the day. Just it 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 almost concerns me to a certain degree that he's earned such loyalty from Dobby and Myrtle in particular because he treats them like crap. He really doesn't regard them well. He doesn't view them as friends or equals or people he actually wants to spend time with. They give him gifts. They constantly support him, and he offers them not even his time. Just like one of the things where I know at the end of the chapter he's planning on giving Dobby a sock a day, but dude, you need more than that. You gotta start viewing these people as equals. They have been to the line for you more than a few times now. 
I, the problem with that, though, Spencer, is that I don't. Dobby doesn't want more than that. Dobby may not be able to cake it if Harry gave him more than that. <laughs> he negotiated his salary down, Spencer. I know. But I'm starting to get into a little bit of Hermione mindset of maybe we need to convince them that there is more to the world. Well, good luck with that. Also, it's, Harry's fully intending him to just buy like the same thing you guys bought me of that massive just big pack of white socks and just give him one of those a day. The man, the man needs at least custom printed socks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it was fun to see the mer people physically represent more mythology than Little Mermaid. But then it kind of be a subversion that they're totally not actually dangerous. They're just intimidating. And that they're totally actually in on this plan and directly involved in making it work. And in many ways serving as almost like equal judges until in, in, in the end assessing it. That was a fun subversion that I actually really appreciated more that they're equal partners in this rather than just being imposed upon for the sake of, you know, colonial exercises. But it's not super clear. I, so it, it, I would say it's fairly clear from historical information that they would be fine after an hour is not a thing because like the students have died in the past during this tournament this is clearly where they would be dying they're trying very hard not to have that happen this time around though (laughs) but and, and i mean well each of the tasks honestly seems like a place that the students could be dying um and the other thing is just like well, clearly in the past, they didn't care about the students enough to, to not let them die because it seems, well, like child's play to have like these full-grown professors prevent these easy-to-prevent deaths. Yeah. So it seems more like a feature than a bug of the Triwizard Tournament that students would die. Um, to, to, to reference a Game of Thrones quote, this is very much a Dothraki wedding without at least three deaths is a dull affair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Apparently, they viewed these as gladiatorial sports back in the day. Uh, though, in terms of just what they do, do though, kidnap, I mean, from the perspective of our heroes, their loved ones have been kidnapped, strung up under a lake, guarded by beasts, and they either are going to drown, die, or disappear forever at the end of this. I'm so glad to find out by the end of this chapter that's not true, but at least at the start, I was like, this world is messed up enough, that's plausible. Well, yeah, they say it's not true, but would we know if Harry had not rescued both of them? Hard to say. I mean, I'm really... Also very Ron to to be like, really? You spent time trying to, like, rescue other... You knew they were going to be fine. Like, it's okay. Like, what do you <laughs> How would I right? know that? No one knew that. Look at Floor. She's crying. This is worth the frame of reference we all had in this. What evidence do we have that they would have been fine? Ugh. None. None. Nothing in the past experience suggests that they might have been okay. BJ, you already know that the selection, we already discussed the selections of the people was interesting uh, mm-hmm. for who is underneath the lake. For one thing, it says really sad things about Crumb. If they are indeed actually assessing who are the real loved ones, that Hermione that he went on one date with is now the most, the best person, most important thing in his life. That man's not had a great life. That's kind of well, sad. Mean- same thing for Cedric and Cho, too. Like, they just went to the Yule Ball together. Yeah, I think they're still dating. I think they are well, maybe yes. still. But even, again, this reinforces my theory that the school was working on limited resources and they didn't want to actually have to recruit anybody from a distant, you know, location or anything else. These are who we had on hand. But it I, is I funny like... that that Fleur, like, did go with, a, I think, a Ravenclaw 
to the Yule Ball, like presumably had the same amount of interaction with him as Crumb did with Hermione and Cedric did with Joe. And that was not, we, we recruited someone from the outside. What, we had an outside yeah. hire for this one. We, we have probable evidence they actually had more interaction because they were, you know, snogging in the bush, weren't they? Yes, they were. Yep. So Spencer, I like how you give more agency to the school than you do to the author in this situation of like, the school was too lazy to get other people. <laughs> I am willing to invest myself in a way that you are not, BJ, in terms of embracing the plot. <laughs> oh, I, I fully understand and appreciate that. It just really tickles me that that's... That's uh, the way you go with it. Eh, I, I, I like I like to view it in that manner. Uh, one thing I do this is something I actually knew about Harry Potter before I long before I read him, long before I knew the details, is that the Harry Potter community is really aggressive about romantic pairing slant, uh, slash fiction or fan fiction, and so having Ron as as Harry's beloved, I can only imagine what kind of fan fiction that's inspired. Yeah. Are they the same four people in the uh, movie? Is that or, 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 or did the movie choose like BJ's kind of referencing to you know use a more expanded cast? No, it's the same four people. Okay. Yep. Uh, this is, this whole thing is pretty true to the book. All right. I I have to give Harry credit though, as much as I like to make fun of him. This is one of the moments that we do have confirmed that he's not just the protagonist; he is the hero of the story. Mm-hmm. Is that he was on from his perspective a direct threat of life and limb that he was going to potentially lose the competition, but he consciously waited to the bitter end and even rescued another person rather than even hazard the chance that they could come to harm. That's a hero. Yes. That, that, that is profound, Harry, yeah. that you would do that. Kudos on you. As much as I enjoy making fun, you do have very much the Gryffindor-inspiring moments. Uh, let's see here. Uh, yeah, just to note one little thing. I didn't really get necessarily an impression for how deep this lake is, but... I got the impression of kind of deep, like 100 feet down at least kind of thing. There's a civilization down here that's not, you know, tipping the surface. It's certainly like statues. completely dark, too, by the time okay. he gets down there. I mean, that's makes... also not that far down. What'd you say? Being, like it being dark at the bottom isn't that far down. You lose, color, yes. you lose color pretty quickly. But sure. it's, there is a significant depth there. I'm betting probably around 100 feet, maybe more. Lakes in Scotland can get pretty, locks in Scotland can get pretty deep. Uh, we explicitly have the author said that Harry just, when he decides he's going to go up from the bottom of the lake to the surface, just goes as fast as he can. Just fighting to the surface. Assuming that the universe of Harry Potter just really give a damn about the bins, I will remind our readers that please don't rise faster than your bubbles. Please don't do that. For this kind of depth, take a safety stop at like 10 to 25 feet and wait three to five minutes if you can. Because nitrogen narcosis sucks and could kill you or at least make you incredibly in a lot of pain. And at 100 feet, yeah, you could get that. Totally. Absolutely. Do other do other creatures like get like sea creatures have are they able to get the bends or is it like just humans? I mean, certain sea creatures are designed very much for certain depths and will just outright implode if they try to go to higher levels. Mm. Um but a lot of them are much more custom tailored for the idea of living in the water and have things like air bladders so that they can much more naturally regulate it rather than us needing to be much more careful about the process of going in and out. Yeah. I just wonder I if the... the if, whales and dolphins and stuff. Yeah. They're, they're much more natural in terms of accommodating it than we are. I just uh, wondered if but, the uh, gillyweed perhaps 
implemented some unseen changes to Harry's physiology in addition to the flippers and Harry, the gills. Harry has a uh, has an air bladder and it's going to resurface at some point in a later book. It's very possible, but none of the other three do so. Even with their diving bells, you would still have to do it. That's, yeah. That is true. Um, so uh, of note, and this is somewhat unrelated, I think it's mudfish, Spencer. Like, do you remember? Like, there are a bunch of fish that wash up every so often and are weird shaped and ugly um but that's mostly because they're hundreds and hundreds of feet above where they live Mm. and so they basically blow up like balloons yeah they they effectively pop before they come to the surface kind of thing it's really sad actually so like our images of of these fish and like what they look like are completely wrong they're just basically the uh depressurized version Mm mm-hmm uh, I think this is the only time we've ever seen that Percy cares about another person was him showing a certain element of concern for Ron when it comes to the surface. And it was actually kind of heartwarming to see it of where Percy's actually unable to control his emotion as he just runs over to make sure Ron's okay. It's like, okay, Percy, you are vaguely human. Kudos. Uh, but definitely of the camp of the only person that's allowed to harm my younger brother is me. <laughs> I wouldn't even put Percy in that level of caring. Normally, from what we've seen previously, he's pretty removed from the family. Uh, Ron, also, Ron, uh, I'm going to give you credit, man. You, you, you wielded that situation well to get a kiss from Floor. You straight up lied. You abused that trust. <laughs> but that was quick thinking, I guess. I'll give you credit. <laughs> also, a little surprising, like, how... Uh nonchalant they are about this everybody's just treating this like a day at the park yeah well i meant by the kiss from floor like that that just that seems well go ahead spencer with one key exception and this is always going to factor in as another added benefit for ron hermione's pissed yes well yes (laughs) understandably so uh, and also, again, adding to the things that are poor Crumb, Hermione gives no shits about him rescuing her by the end of this chapter. <laughs> He's right there in front of her. He went down, he turned into a shark to rescue, and she's just only applauding Harry. Crumb has a hard life. Uh, yeah. Um, but, speaking of Crumb's hard life, we have winners and losers of the chapter. Mm-hmm. We, d- we do. We have a lot of options for both of those, quite honestly. And, and people change, um pretty significantly over the course of this chapter. <laughs> yep. Um, I am, in fact, getting the bins, trying to figure out who <laughs> who has won and lost this chapter. But, you know, I think in the winter cap- camp, we have some, some pretty obvious options. By the end of this chapter, Harry has somehow been an idiot and been rewarded for it. So that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, he does, in fact, get the most... Like, we do have actual points in this chapter, and he does, in fact, get the most points, which... Well, uh, he doesn't. Second most. Point. He gets two behind Second Cedric? most. Yes. I, I was going to oh, say this for, for quibbles, qualms, and, and questions, but Cedric gets 47, and Harry oh, that was gets 47. 45. I because I I think he takes gets, like, three points off for coming in uh, after time and two points off for being a good person. <laughs> no, no, no. He gets any points at all because he was a good person. Apparently, yes. <laughs> the man didn't make any effort to come in under time compared to everybody else. Right, but Karkarov clearly deducted points for him being a good person. You, okay, yes. Or, yes, or Karkarov um, judged him appropriately and yes. everyone else gave him points for being a good person. <laughs> I, okay, I, I see no good person as part of criteria. No. <laughs> 
Um, um, you know, I, I think Dobby also is a contender yeah, for Dobby. best day here, especially when we know that he is getting lots of socks in the future. There is no way that Harry is following through on that thought. There, Come on, like, even this. He doesn't. <laughs> no! No! Come on, I needed this. I needed the character progression that Harry's going to care about those who love and support him around him. No, I I, I don't think that's going to happen by the end of the book. I don't think he does. I don't remember, in all honesty. Um, <laughs> you, don't, you don't remember if Harry like cares about other people by the end of the book? No. There, there is such jaded resignation of you saying that, Sarah. It's just like, uh, Harry's a little shit. Sure, yeah. Book it's possible. Sure. News at 11. <laughs> It's, it, yeah, that's that's perfectly fine. Um, so I would also put forward, and I, I will be interested, happy to entertain other options if you have them, but Ron actually had a pretty good day here. Not only does he end up getting kissed by Fleur at the end of this and provoking Hermione's jealousy, but he was actually the center of attention here, which mm-hmm. is literally all he wants ever. Yeah. It, it, it was a prop, but he was the prop that everybody was focused on. And for mm-hmm. Ron, that's a good day. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Any other options you all would like to put forward? Um, people seemed like they had a good day. They had fun. That's, that's true. Just writ large. It certainly seemed like an interesting yeah. day. It's hard, it's hard to say what their average experience is, though, for them to really rank. We've never really met them before. Yeah, not enough data points there, I think, yeah, I, to make a real determination. I think I, I think Harry and friends kind of just factor in for the overall winners this time around. <laughs> All right, a sort of blanket, a tied first place, if you will. T- Team Harry coming up winner. All right, Team Harry for the win. Um, losers. Losers. I I do think that there is a a significant um, case to be made for Crumb losing this chapter, as we have yeah. talked about uh, d- recently. <laughs> I mean, I think Fleur had a really bad yes. chapter. Yes. But, but she ended the chapter, even though her points were bad. Right. They actually seemed to be better than she thought they were going to be. Yeah. Right. And I mean, her sister is back, and she's like, right. you know. She she also just took it better. She acted like an adult when it came to it. She acted like the most mature person in the room. Is this it? Yeah, I failed. I probably don't deserve those points, but... What needed to happen today happened, and I'm happy about that. And she takes the time to thank the people that were responsible. So it's almost like she gets extra points just for maturity value there. So, I mean, it seems to me that, like, the fact that Fleur was mature in this situation, and we have plenty of evidence to suggest that Crumb himself was not particularly mature (laughs) in this situation, and in fact actively tries to, um, unsuccessfully, I might add, attract Hermione's attention back to him from her friends. (laughs) Although it is... I know, it's not like a great move on her part. Anyway, Crumb, I think, is the loser here. I'm not sure if we've had him as the loser before, but I am I am perfectly willing to go to this first loss for Crumb. I mean, like the, the ball chapter, he did not have a good finish there, so... That's true. I don't think he actually lost that chapter. Right. But it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I, he seems in a foul mood by the end of this chapter. Yeah. Would you I mean, say that he's in a crummy mood? One might. That one's one lazy. One might, BJ. <laughs> yeah, I, I fully endorse that choice. I mean, he it shows that he doesn't have much in the way of loved ones if Hermione's what they're going with here. Yeah, we get some uh, some off-screen indications that his life is not going particularly well. Yeah. 
I mean, honestly, sure? like we did joke about uh, Harry Potter having his broom taken away. I think that that Crumb has a much better and closer relationship with his broom <laughs> than he does with Hermione. So, or yeah, or my one ninny, for <laughs> my own ninny. Anyway, questions. Um, how do the points work? Or is it just we meant to view these as entirely arbitrary? Because we didn't have points the first round. We had no concept that points were a thing, I don't think. No, I think now we have. I think that we heard there were points. We just didn't get right. what the points were. We, 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 had, we had, like, top, middle, out. and bottom. Mm-hmm. And now we have, or therefore, I guess. Uh... They're not even awarding them by fives. No. Cedric got 47 points. That's a really precise number. Yes. Yeah. Is it just arbitrary? It's pretty arbitrary. As as we can tell specifically by the fact that Karkaroff seems to just not. Yeah. Yeah. And and I my presumption is that Dumbledore has very specific thoughts on the exact number of points down to like five or six decimal places and everybody's <laughs> just like, "All right, well then what do I have to add to that so it's a whole number because yes. this is insanity." <laughs> Because we have actual people watching this who are not going to stand for it. Yes. So, I, yeah, there isn't... The points just are, Spencer. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. BJ. Um, how many magical plants are there? And <laughs> I guess we haven't really touched on it before, but this seems like a failing of Snape, I guess, or, or maybe Sprout. Like, I, you know, it's kind of unclear mm-hmm. because this seems like a very... How useful are potions if they're so like extremely useful plants? So what? There are a lot of them, um, and I will remind you that at one point um, Neville, in fact, was lent a book of them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's true. And that I, I can't remember the title off the top of my head, and I won't, will not be able to find it for this discussion. But it was like a very specific regional-based book of water, like of um, the regional water plants. So, Ponderous you know, I, plants and the perusal of, <laughs> um, I think it was like the Western Mediterranean. Yeah. So, I mean, we're getting like pretty specific on what and where these plants are. And so sure. what I would say is that like, I actually wish we got much more herbology just in these books generally, because it seems hmm. really interesting. Um, but what I think makes, a subject like herbology or even perhaps care of magical creatures a little more tricky is that it is dealing with things that seem to be specifically place-based sure, mm. and possibly more difficult to get to study. I, Hagrid doesn't seem to have too many problems with it, but Hagrid is willing to <laughs> undertake go, go all to sorts no- of <laughs> nocturnality and, and get whatever he can there. I, d- I don't see Sprout in Nocturnally, if I'm being real honest. I mean, plants need light, and that would be really problematic there. Fair. So, um, it's also kind of interesting, like, I didn't think about this a lot, but all all of those classes are essentially a lot more about dig- digging, shoveling poop, and taking creatures on walks than anything like the usefulness of, of said things. Mm-hmm. I mean, we get a little bit with the mandrake plant eventually because it was plot relevant, but mm-hmm. like most of the class was, okay, you need to wear your earmuffs and repot them rather than this is what it's used for and, you know, all the other information that Spencer would really prefer to have in the almanac of 
magical plants. They really are like, um, it, what? Oh, what well, God? What's the like? It's like a work study program. Yeah, it, I mean, like they're like a shop class. and woodworking classes, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's in co- it's in conscious recognition that Britain is now a service economy, and we don't actually need scientists. We need front we 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 need uh, frontline workers at the cash register. And this is what they're training the mechanical skills they'll actually need in life. <laughs> Um, but I mean, I assume I, I would hope, I guess, if I'm just thinking through the mechanics of these classes and how they would happen, I unclear what's happening in Hagrid's class, but I would hope that at least Sprout's class, the homework that they were doing was perhaps actually reading about the uses of these plants mm-hmm. in some way, mm-hmm. shape or form. But this is, this is a sort of BJ like spinning out of what could be happening in this world as opposed to the textual evidence that we have of what is actually happening in this world. I, I will mm-hmm. say mm-hmm. that the uh, counterpoint to that is Hermione doesn't know of anything in terms of like magical herbs and their usefulness. That's so, true. Uh, That's actually a very mm-hmm. good point. That, yeah, that you're not, you're not wrong there. Um, but so I think that. Yeah, I don't know if she's just not interested. <laughs> the one class that she's not really interested in that has useful applications. Yeah. This, this is Hermione's quiet sea that she pretends doesn't exist. <laughs> As opposed well, to the sea that she's proud of in uh, Trelawney's class. No, that, she's not in that she class anymore. An, she dropped um, it. Um, she took unfinished. that pass-fail and... Mm. Done. What exactly is a banishment spell? I don't know if we've really heard much about him other than them wielding them heavily at the start of this chapter. Is it just literally like a get away from me now? I think so, Spencer. I do believe that's exactly what it is. It's like a Leviosa with direction. <laughs> Specifically, outward direction. <laughs> it is the yeet spell. That's what this is. Uh, no, that that's a different spell. The yeet spell is Expelliarmus. Yeah. Gotcha. Is that one categories of it? Yes, it is. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the rectangle to the square of Expelliarmus, perhaps. Gotcha. Understood. Um, th- this is the you know preschool children putting things with the same shapes in the in the right holes kind of deal. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. It's it's a very interesting commentary on the wizarding world the the number of spells that have almost the same application that are very different spells that they have to learn in specific mm-hmm. and then the other random things that dumbledore does that are spells in the world that they don't know anything about or learn how to do or cast or however you want to deal with it that seem infinitely more useful uh-huh thus we have the british education system <laughs> Uh, last one for me, but are we led to believe that, given how dangerous we've heard unicorns are and how much they hate dudes from everything else we've heard previously, that Hagrid just went out there into the Forbidden Forest and just grabbed two baby unicorns and just brought them back with him? Or is this another thing that he got from a merchant with few questions asked? Um, I would think that it's more the former than the latter. But it does seem that Hagrid does have a, given the special relationship that Hagrid has with things in the forest, I think that there might have been, it might have been a little bit less of a, of a foal napping and more. Saving from a giant spider web. That he, in fact, caused to be there in the first place. 
I'm fully willing to believe the man's just the monster whisperer when it comes to interacting with him. So he just asked a unicorn very politely. Can I borrow your foals? I, like, I tend to believe that's what's happening here. Okay. That's it from me. BJ, anything more from you? Uh, yes. Are there more sentient creature civilizations that are just lurking beneath the surface that we will just come to find out is a thing? Um, or That will be revealed at the speed of plot? TBD, I, mean, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Not important enough that, that they, they really come up. And I guess the more people aren't really important. I... I assume that they are only in this chapter, basically. We never see never them again. Up. No, we never see them again. Which is really interesting because <sighs> things have to happen on the grounds, and I feel like that that should come up, given some things that I do know about later books and lots of things happen on the grounds. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of interesting that, like, this isn't an all-hands-on-deck kind of thing, but... What can you do? What can you do? Indeed. Oh, are uh, centaurs sentient? Certainly seems such. Yeah. I mean, vaguely, at least. Like, we have had some interaction. So I guess, you know, there are some... They, they seem less society and more beast-like when we interacted with them. They're, I, w- I would say that they're, they're a little weirder. They're kind of more, like, nomad-like than... At least as far as we know and as far yeah. as we get in other books. But we do actually encounter the centaurs again. I mean, technically speaking, the spider community at least has a sentient core. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Don't know if the babies are necessarily sentient, but the mommy, mommy certainly is. Uh, yeah. All right. It's outright conversational. <laughs> <laughs> Any other questions? Nah, I think we're good. Do you think that Hagrid <laughs> gets most of his weird creatures from Nocturne Alley, or by an agreement with the spider people to just, like, give up some of their meals so we can take care of them for class. Um, I mean, a little of column A, a little of column B, BJ. I don't know why you have to put limits on things. <laughs> Which do you think Dumbledore would approve of more? I, I think Dumbledore, in Dumbledore-like fashion, twiddles his thumbs and <laughs> pretends to look elsewhere. <laughs> Dumbledore's secretly on vacation a lot. He's not really involved yeah. enough with these things. D- Dumbledore lives for the days when he when uh, he gets suspended by the Board of Governors. Ah, yes. Okay, so our next chapter, before BJ can come up with his fourth question oh, after his last question. <laughs> after Spencer's last question. I didn't say it. Anyway. Is uh, chapter, chapter number 27, Padfoot Returns. With one of the most adorable cover arts we've had yet. <laughs> also the blockiest looking dog. I mean. That's a square of a dog. Yes. <laughs> um, so this has been fun, guys. Uh, As usual. Been. Looking forward to the next one. Bye, guys.